For 20 years, Cultural DC has been making space for art. That means physical places like galleries, theaters, and affordable housing for artists. But it also means we make space in the conversation. Podcasting is an exciting way to have those conversations and make our work and artistic programs accessible to a broader audience. We look forward to sharing insights from some of our key collaborators with you. Our first episode features a conversation between Cultural DC's Executive Director Christy Maselman and critically acclaimed artist Jennifer Rubel about the exhibit you've probably heard of, Ivanka Vacuuming. A Q&A portion with the live audience follows. Cultural DC, as part of its 20th anniversary season, presented this limited engagement performance art piece in early February 2019. Inspired by a figure whose public persona incorporates an almost comically wide range of feminine identities, daughter, wife, mother, sister, model, working woman, blonde, Ivanka Vacuuming was simultaneously a visual celebration of a contemporary feminine icon, a portrait of our own relationship to that figure, and a questioning of our complicity in her role-playing. Jennifer Rubel is an American conceptual artist whose work centers on the viewer's physical interaction with the object. Her practice has long focused on the relationship between femininity and feminism, bridging the domestic and the monumental to create work of enormous visual power and poetry. She works in a wide variety of participatory mediums ranging from interactive sculpture, painting and video, to food performance. Rubel received her BA from Harvard University in Fine Arts, and she lives and works in New York City. Christy brings over 15 years of experience in nonprofit and for-profit arts organizations, including the Corcoran College of Art and Design, Rubel Family Collection, Connor Smith, Hamiltonian Artist, and the National Gallery of Art. Maiselman received her BFA in photography from James Madison University and her MA in arts management from American University. She lives in Shaw with her husband and daughter. I'm Christy Maselman. I'm the executive director of Cultural DC. Uh, thank you all for coming tonight. I'd like to introduce uh, New York-based artist Jennifer Rubel. We're just going to jump right in. And so, Jennifer, why don't you talk a little bit about the piece of Anka Vacuuming, kind of the genesis of that and where the idea came from? Yeah, I, I mean, two things happened somewhat uh, simultaneously, I think, or I can't remember what happened first. Um, I saw footage of Ivanka Trump at the G20 summit wearing this pink dress with quite large bows on the sleeves and high heels and nude legs or pantyhose nude legs and an extremely uh, feminine, almost girly self-presentation when she was at a meeting representing her father, the president of the United States. And I thought it was an unusual choice. It was a notable choice. And it was, um, you know, I mean, to me, what makes something interesting is that you notice it, right? If you notice something, there's something interesting about it. So, um, that was really that that at that point I knew I was interested in exploring this person who was using femininity, feminine sexuality, a certain kind of feminine um, uh, kind of doll-like quality, sort of feminine cliches, using it in the service of power, and um, so I was I, I was just interested in that. So then sometime around then or later or before, I don't remember, uh, Christy approached me about doing a project for Cultural DC, and um, it, it, it was, you know, 
to do a piece around Ivanka here in Washington, D.C., in a place where she is already considered and examined and thought about and people are deeply invested, obviously, in, in the Trump family at this point. Uh, I thought it was just sort of like a perfect, a, uh, a perfect storm. There's a strong thread of feminine, feminist questioning in a lot of your work from the very beginning. Do you want to talk about some of that? Yeah, I, I mean, I myself have a kind of um, uncertain and unresolved relationship to femininity. Um, you know, people I've known for years are shocked when I say something like, oh, God, like, should I wear this lipstick or that lipstick? Like, they can't, they can't believe that I have these, these sort of, like, let's say, common feminine thoughts because in so many ways in my life, I've made decisions that are really um, not even anti-feminine. They're just outside of a dialogue around femininity. So, um, and yet, it's, it, I don't really see how it's possible to be a woman and not be engaged with these questions of femininity. It's very hard to completely avoid those questions. So in the work, it's, it's there from almost the very beginning. You know, the earliest work I did used food as a medium. Food as a medium is already a, a kind of feminine gendered um, uh, proposition. So, um, and then in more explicit ways, you know, I did, when I was eight months pregnant with my son, I did this piece where there was... Uh, it's called Portrait of the Artist. And you know, there's this common thing that when a, when a woman, when a female artist gets pregnant and has a kid, it's like career death, right? That, that it's like you can chart the beginning of the end for her to that moment that she decided to have a kid. And, um, and so I was pregnant dealing with this narrative, this kind of inherited narrative of imminent artistic death. And I, um, I, I wanted to make a piece around these feelings. And so, um, you know, all my work is participatory, right? The viewer is always, the, the viewer is the entity that I reach out to in the work to, to give it its, its kind of validity, its substance, its edge, its tension. And so, uh, so the piece was me uh, scan, digitally scanned at eight months pregnant on my side in this traditional uh, kind of um, sex-laden odalisque position. And, um, and then that was blown up to 24, 24 feet. And the belly was carved out so the viewer could come crawl into my belly and hang out there, right? So I, I wanted the viewer to, to feel staked in this state that I was in. And it was called Portrait of the Artist because I wanted, um, I wanted it to be clear that this state I was in was an artist's state. This wasn't like I was suddenly, um, I, I was suddenly kind of stripped of my artist title and given, given my mom title. I, I, I refused that while at the same time completely embracing it was what was going on. So, I mean, it's an example, but there's that. There was a piece that was here at the um, National Museum for Women in the Arts. of uh, It's called Lisa, 
of this life-size mannequin put on her side with enormous breasts. People say, why do you choose her to have enormous breasts? And I'm like, I have enormous breasts, but I hide them, but hers are on full display. But, the, but she, so she's retooled so that you can press down her leg and crack these walnuts that are in a pedestal on the side for you to do. So this, so it's always feminism, femininity, really not kind of choosing sides, acknowledging the reality that these two things are coexisting and cannot exist in a simple opposition to each other. So anyway, when Ivanka um, was at the G20 summit, at the, the real Ivanka Trump was at the G20 summit, and she, in one fell swoop, positioned herself with, with literally where the femininity was turned all the way up and the, the feminism was turned all the way up. I mean, she was essentially in one of the most powerful positions in the world sitting there. Um, I, I, I thought this is a, something to really dig into and examine. Right. So in that last body of work that you did in New York last year, the show Housewife, mm-hmm. that's the first time a vacuum ap- appears in the work. Right. That's the first time a vacuum appears in my work. Yeah, that was the, the a show I did. Uh, that was two years ago. Two, yeah, okay. two years ago. Last year, I What's stood on a pedestal right? and had people throw pies in my face. That was another thing. But the the um, yeah, in Housewife, that the piece you're referring to, it's a it's a white pedestal, um, based exactly the size of this pedestal, and there was a, a vacuum cleaner, a shiny, fresh new vacuum cleaner on it and a pair of red high heels and the viewer could go up onto the pedestal and stand in the high heels and hold the vacuum and look devastatingly sexy. And um, that was, that was, but the vacuum, I mean, my major, uh, let's say, art apprenticeship experience was I worked for Jeff Koons. So, and before working for Jeff Koons, I come from an art collecting family and I literally grew up with one of Jeff Koons' vacuum cleaners 10 steps from my childhood bedroom door. So the vacuum as, um, you know, the vacuum didn't exist that much for, I don't remember it so much as a household item, appliance. I really remember it as a um, an object of consideration and a stand-in for well, Jeff Jeff thinks it's a stand-in for uh, masculine and feminine sexuality, but um, I remember thinking of it as a kind of um, shiny object stand-in for a certain kind of uh, femininity. So, like, kind of, I mean, I wouldn't have said it in those terms then. I probably would have thought of it as, like, the mom I didn't have because my mom was definitely not in the heels vacuuming. You know, Some of you know my mom, you believe that so then for this why is Ivanka vacuuming she could have been doing a variety of other things yeah she could have been doing a variety of other things I mean as the piece evolved there was um there were two things one is in looking at her in that outfit with the bow so at the g20 she was wearing the outfit I'm not sure who made it the outfit she's wearing here is the dress that her company Ivanka Trump Uh, made that looks like that dress that she wore at the G20 Summit. Actually, this dress, 
Um, it's, it's interesting. In all the talk about this piece, a lot of people talk about how I've sexualized her. I've actually kind of like dialed it back, if anything. So this, this dress is the dress she uh, produced. It's from the, Ivanka, the defunct Ivanka Trump label. The shoes are, are um, also Ivanka Trump. The bracelet is Ivanka Trump and the earrings are Ivanka Trump, right? So in that, Pete, your question, in that, in, in, why the vacuum? So when I think about an action, you know, I, I, I have this character who's of interest to me. And when I think about her relationship to the viewer and the bridge between her and the viewer, um, she, she needed to be doing something. I chose the thing that in some ways is an accessory to the persona of that Ivanka Trump at the G20 summit. That woman is the sexy, feminine woman, kind of like a 50s housewife-looking sexy, feminine woman. Um, and what does that woman do, that woman vacuums? I'd already, before Ivanka ever went to the G20 summit, I was already thinking about what that kind of, the, the, the sort of like appliance, um, the appliance um, equivalent of that kind of woman, and it was a vacuum. And so then once the vacuum happened, then it was clear that the viewer was, was going to participate in some way. And the question of what the viewer would, um, would throw for her, because it's important that the viewer is staked, right? You, all of you who threw crumbs, you are giving her this work. You're, if you noticed, you know, in my brief to the model, there's no, um, she's under no obligation to vacuum your crumbs. So it's like you throw them and maybe she vacuums them, maybe she doesn't, because actually, there's no real job here. There's nothing. There's 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 nothing really that she's supposed to be doing. Her main job is to to be vacuuming and looking pretty. But you throwing crumbs is kind of like you're giving her her purpose. You're participating in this completely inane thing that she's doing, and it makes you. It, it makes you complicit. You could say equally um, guilty. It also makes you equally innocent. You're all doing the same thing together. She's in one role, you're in another role. Um, and I didn't want to let anybody off the hook. I don't, you know, I, I feel like right this second we're living in a culture where um, an awful lot of people feel innocent, feel like something has happened to them. And, um, I don't know. I think it's another way to look at things to think about all of our participation in um, in all of it. I mean, it, the the piece was 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 kind of I would say a little bit weaponized by the Trump family. So, um, you know, I did the piece. Ivanka Trump said, you know, some women choose to knock each other down. Other women choose to build uh, women. Other women up. I'm, paraphrasing, I choose the latter, right? This very kind of elegant, ladylike language to um, knock me down, right? So, but, it, it, but that's okay, that's okay. I mean, do you, you don't, the, 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 the wonderful thing about, um, about doing work like this is that it engages people and I'm totally open to whatever that engagement is. Anyway, um, she did that, her brothers then both came out um, really attacking me as a as a uh, feminist, like it's a dirty word, uh, liberal, like it's a dirty word, and um, which is actually not a way that I particularly identify myself. But um, 
And then I realize that I'm com complicit too. I created the perfect situation for them to cast um, the left, or let's say Democrats in general, as being incredibly judgmental of um, traditional feminine women. Um, so you're not off the hook. I'm not off the hook. The performer is not off the hook. Ivanka Trump's not off the hook. We are all in this uh, in this together. So I want to back up. I want to talk a little bit because we talked about the vacuum. I want to talk about the specificity around the vacuum, the specificity around the installation, and kind of your thought process as we, you know, kind of this came together. Sure. Yeah. It. It. I definitely wanted to do something with very minimal means. Uh, this piece that um, that really caused a lot of dialogue in the world is made of a 16-foot piece of carpet, a standard issue ordered over the internet. I mean, a lot of elements of this piece you can order over the internet uh, <laughs> in case you want to make your own at home. But this is... Um, you know, a standard issue museum stanchion. And then there's a white pedestal, and those are panko breadcrumbs um, that you buy by the by the 25-pound bag. It looks like a bag of feed, right? Um, and then the vacuum. So um, the, the type of vacuum it is, which is also all of these things, the carpet's from Home Depot. It's called Pretty in Pink. That's the color. But all of these things are... are um, they're readily available. There's nothing exclusive about any of it. Um, but And then the name of the vacuum is Shark Professional, which I thought was absolutely exactly perfect uh, for the piece. So it's, and then the space itself is a part of the piece. Uh, the, uh, I located this wall in this very specific location. Of the, the gallery actually continues back so that she's at, at, at she's, at the end, all of the attention lands on her, and she's in this space that's incredibly blank. All that's here is a place to plug in the vacuum, a way to go in and out, and um, this carpet that is her only—that's her only purpose for existing. So that's how it all came together, more or less, right? Yeah. 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 Pretty much. Easy, guess, right? <laughs> Locating twenty-five pound bags of breadcrumbs. Yeah. Not exactly. so easy, but but we. We have a source, so if anybody needs, yeah, if anybody needs some panko, yeah, and people have asked if it's if it's um, if the breadcrumbs are recycled. They're not recycled. The the, the pedestal holds a hundred pounds of panko, and um, and but you've noticed if you threw it that in your hand it's nothing. It's like people who try to get some distance on it can't because it's like it's so. Um, it's important that it's totally insignificant, that it has no weight to it. It's, it's not, um, it is not a weapon. And um, yeah, but anyway, it holds 100 pounds. Over the course of the evening, if, if, if a pound is thrown, it's a lot. And, um, and so we vacuum them. We don't vacuum them up. The model vacuums them up. And then uh, they just get disposed of, and it's all fresh breadcrumbs. Yeah. Yeah. But again, th there was specificity in that it was panko, it wasn't regular breadcrumbs. It yeah. wasn't seasoned breadcrumbs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a, the the choice for uh, the choice of the panko was really a, a question of um, you know regular breadcrumbs are kind of like sawdust and they're the what they are can be confusing. Whereas panko actually resembles bread. It it the, it's the way it's fabricated. So 
um, they were chosen for that reason. And it's not bad that they have a kind of swanky breadcrumb feeling. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> After we bought all the breadcrumbs, I got an ad on my Instagram about pork flavored breadcrumbs. Oh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I thought. <laughs> We could add a whole other level to the... Yeah, the yeah, yeah. I like, spent a lot of time shopping for the Ivanka mm-hmm. Trump dresses, and I think they've now the, the, targeted me as the ultimate Ivanka Trump wardrobe <laughs> buyer. So I get literally nonstop ads for dresses that I might, um, that I would definitely never wear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Uh, I think what I have found so fascinating and, and what interests me so much about this piece and your work is the ability for it to kind of break down these barriers between artist and audience. Um, and I think here in Washington, that's like kind of such a thing because, you know, just down the street, we have this very much like, please do not touch mentality at the mall. And so this is really different uh, for Washington. I think this is different for a lot of places that like we're really inviting people, you're inviting people to participate and engage and become part of the piece. And that's kind of been like that for a lot of your work. Do you want to? Sure. Talk about I mean, that. I, you know, as I mentioned, I grew up inside the art world and I didn't like it at all. It was really, um, I find the experience of looking at art eventually transcendent, but getting to the point that it's transcendent, it's, um, it's, it's very dehumanizing in a way. Uh, you're essentially asked to turn off all senses except um, except vision, right? You, you, you're meant to look at art. You're in a zone of, you know, where you, you really can't, you can't talk. There's kind of no smell. There's no, it's like the environment is so controlled that it practically doesn't exist. Um, you certainly can't touch. That's like, you know, basic. And, you know, the good and bad side of being in a city with fabulous museums all over the place is that you, you, that experience, the, the kind of dehumanizing experience of going and looking at art that also you're supposed to think is great no matter what you think. You're, you're shown this work and you're supposed to, um, it's the most important work of our time or this other time. And you are supposed to accept an opinion that is not yours. If you have a different opinion, you are considered ignorant rather than people feeling like your other opinion is valid. So, I mean, I think in many ways, looking at art is a really uh, abusive uh, uh, activity. So, and I literally- Don't tell my five-year-old that. Yeah, exactly, right, exactly. (laughs) But I literally, I was your five-year-old, right? Mm -hmm. So I literally spent uh, my entire childhood in this environment where, my physical self wasn't interacting. My my um, my my thoughts and feelings weren't really valid, and there was nothing special about that. That is a child's interaction with art, for the most part. And um, I really, I was, I was very hesitant to become an artist, even though, as I look back, it probably would have, uh, it it would have happened sooner if I weren't so. Uh, if I weren't so disturbed by that kind of interaction. And then when I started making work, I was dead set on making work where the viewer was um, was staked, where the viewer being there mattered, where every viewer mattered, every person who comes in here and throws crumbs and has a feeling around that, gleeful, miserable, interested, 
um, a more kind of like detached intellectual engagement with it. Every single one of those feelings is valid. Every person who doesn't come here and sees it live streamed or sees a photo of it or hears somebody talk about it, their engagement with it is valid. It's, I, I, I wouldn't make art if it couldn't be a gift to the viewer. I would not do that. I don't want to impose my, uh, my idea of what I want to see in the world onto anyone. I want the viewer to bring all of themselves to a situation that I've created and feel in a more highlighted a way, in a way where they're noticing more what they're feeling, in, in a zone of heightened self-awareness. I want them to feel what's actually going on. It's, a, it's okay if people come in here and are bored. It's okay if people come in here and, and are meditating because they're into the sound of the vacuum. That's me some days, you know, I mean, but, uh, but anyway, that, that was, um, that's been important through all my work. And I really don't have an interest in making work where you look at it and you're thinking about me. That's a failure. That's a total abject failure. When we talk about the participatory aspect of it, I think we've always talked, I mean, since the beginning of talk, you know, starting this process and this project, we've talked about the live feed. But certainly the live feed brings a different perspective to it. And I think a lot of the feedback I've heard is that people that come in, it's not at all what they expected. It's a very different feeling. People have different reactions. And I think that the live feed is a very different thing. And when you talk about the importance of participation, how, do you, how does the, the live stream like how what what are your feelings about how that is how that kind of plays into the work yeah it's a different kind i mean uh, the live feed is a different kind of participation you know i mean it's also i like the effect of the live feed on the physical piece so when you are throwing crumbs the fact that you know that there is somebody in the world who is watching you gives you a heightened sense of existing, you know, some, some, sometimes it's packed some days, you know, for whatever reason, cause things go in waves, you'll come in here and there'll be one person, right. Or nobody. And yet you have Ivanka vacuuming, right? So the idea that there is somebody out there who is watching that it, it, that in some ways it exists because somebody is watching is is an interesting part of the piece. I think it's, I, it, I mean it's it's also very helpful having done having done this piece. I spoke about the where viewers were throwing pies in my face for six weeks. I know that um, that that wasn't on a live feed. That occasionally had a live feed, and when it had a live feed, um, I definitely felt. Um, I felt better about doing it. There's no better word. I felt I felt like I wasn't. Um, I felt seen, which I think is something most people enjoy feeling like you're not all alone in the world. And um, and in some ways, the live feed was also a gift to the model who's who's doing this. That she's performing. She's always performing for somebody. She's performing for you if you're here. She's performing for other people if they're elsewhere. And, um, and she's never uh, alone in this process. Want more art? 
Check out Cultural DC's latest mobile art gallery exhibit hosted by City Center DC. Stay Fly by Jamia Richmond Edwards is inspired by the flamboyant style of the 90s, growing up in Detroit, and Ebony Magazine's Fashion Fair spreads, which feature beautiful black models dressed in the latest couture. Jamia's work can be viewed Tuesday through Saturday, 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. in the mobile art gallery located at the park at City Center DC, now through April 13th. I think we're getting kind of close we're good. We're time. solid. You know everything we're good. you need to know. Yeah, do you, I don't. I want to. I want to give everybody an opportunity to ask questions if they have them. I mean, certainly, uh, we know that the 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 piece has gotten a lot of feedback in the press and <laughs> everywhere. And so, I want to give you guys a chance to ask questions if you have them. Um, there is a microphone, so somebody will. If you could raise your hand, somebody will bring you a microphone. You talk about performance and complicity, and Ivanka's role in the universe seems to be a performer. And if we are to not be complicit, how do we pull her strings and make her do a better performance? D is the onus on us to even do that? Can we do that? Yeah, I, I, I um, you know, for me, this piece is very much a portrait of a moment, and I. You know, the question you're asking has a lot to do with uh, with politics and ad advocacy and um, and questions that I think there are probably in this room a lot of people much smarter than I am about that stuff that could answer. I don't, you know, my goal is not to change Ivanka Trump, and um, I don't even have. Uh, a particular interest in doing that if I could. Um, for me, she's a subject through which we can look at something that's a lot more universal than her. And, um, and uh, I think what we see in her in a kind of caricature is something that exists in all women for better or for worse in this time. And and because she exists the way she does, it allows us to see it in a way that's more visible than we can see it uh, elsewhere. You talk about it as a portrait. Is there any, is there any part of you that sees this as a self-portrait? I mean, is there any part of that that plays into this? Well, I mean, I think in some ways, you know, it's like every every book a writer writes is an autobiography um, and every piece an artist makes is a self-portrait. I definitely empathize with Ivanka in certain ways. Um, and, you know, I, I am very close with my family. I understand the uh, role one can play in one's family. Um, and I can, I can, I, I feel like I can empathize with some of her situation. I mean, I think I can empathize with some of most people's situation. Um, it, it, which is not to say in a million years I would make even one of the decisions that she's made. But, um, I, I think part of why this piece can operate the way it does is because this is not a portrait of a villain. This is this is this is a piece that really 
that refuses to diminish the complexity and humanity of its subject. I was wondering why you chose uh, breadcrumbs. I understand the vacuum, the, the clothing, the pink, yeah. the white breadcrumbs. Yeah, I mean breadcrumbs. There are so uh, uh, bread, of course, is this is this is uh, an element that exists in many religions in many forms. It's a very very kind of um, evocative medium. Um, you know, there were there were the the story that kept going on in my head about the breadcrumbs had to do with uh, you know the fairy tale leaving the trail of breadcrumbs, right? Of um, and and how the vacuuming, th so you leave the trail of breadcrumbs to, to be safe, basically, because somebody, somebody is going to rescue you, right? And, um, you know, the viewer is, is this, it, it, the viewer throwing breadcrumbs is put in this position of um, being the endangered one, right? Being the one who is trying to communicate where they are so that they can be saved, right? And then in this very kind of like uh, neutral, smiling, beautiful way, you have this character um, vacuuming up this evidence of where the viewer is. The, 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 what the viewer is trying to do, Ivanka is making disappear you know, almost by magic. So, or um, not sometimes, or not sometimes, right? Like you throw it and maybe she'll make it disappear and maybe she won't even get to it. Cause it doesn't even matter enough to, you know, there's no part of the model's brief in which she is under obligation to vacuum any of the breadcrumbs, um, that you throw. And I certainly don't guide her in that. So, but all that said, you know, that's one of the stories around breadcrumbs that, uh, that informed the piece. It's in no way a, a, a kind of a direct illustration of only that story. But that's one of the things I was thinking about as I was making I'm really interested in um, the idea of a, an art installation that is ephemeral, like it exists for a while and then it, it doesn't exist, like life is that way. And then, but it's transformed or transmuted into a document because it's being documented by video and film and people talking about it, writing about it. it makes me think of uh, Yoko Ono's Met thing I went to last year where 50, 60 years ago, somebody cut off her clothing. But then it's a video that's like in a loop in a museum and has been written about. Uh, do you, th what's your view of that? Like you create a piece of art that doesn't, isn't permanent, but there's permanence that gets created out of it? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, you know, it's a lot of the work, not all the work I make. I mean, I in my mind, I divide my work into ephemeral work and durable work, right? And, you know, if it's a scale, it's like ephemeral, right? So um, the this piece exists in this time. This time in the world, this time in America, is a part of the piece. It's, it's site-specific not only to this physical location, it's site-specific to this time in history, right? So that's this piece. There will be video of this piece that exists. This piece could be re-performed in 30 years at a retrospective or whatever. But to me, all of that is not really this piece. So the reality that 
that things don't last forever, the reality that being here, throwing crumbs, participating, you are in the peace, the peace exists, and then it will not exist, um, is a part of the peace, the sadness of that, but also the kind of um, intensity of an experience that won't last forever. I mean, that's being alive, right? It's intense because it's like you're here and two seconds later, that's it, it's, you're, you're gone. So, um, you know, to create a piece that mimics that kind of fragility uh, for me is, is exciting, you know? But this, I mean, a lot of people have asked me, oh, is it gonna travel, is it gonna travel? I, you know, I, I, I really, um, I don't know, I'm disinclined for it to travel because I feel like it, it will never have an existence that's as perfect as this existence. So. It might be interesting far in the future as a kind of um, reperforming the piece as a kind of form of historical documentation that's a little bit more accurate than a video of it. But, um, but no, right now is what the piece is. Thank you for the work. Uh, I'm, I wanna ask you about how you, how you are, how, how are you viewing the response that you've gotten so far, because I was, so I was watching it. There's so many ways you could respond to the work, and I've been surprised at some of the vitriol that's come out by it. But for some reason, this I think about uh, the response to the, the situation with Governor Northam right now and blackface, and observing that, and how people are responding to that or not responding. Are we seeing the same type of vitriol for that type of activity versus this? So how are you? handling this response and what do you, do you think the response says something about the people itself? I mean, I mean you built this for the people to look at and to experience so now, and now you're getting all these different viewpoints. How are you taking that in and did you expect that? Well, God, all the questions are really good. Um, I did not expect it because it's almost unprecedented in the history of art, I, that, 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 that a piece would become so ubiquitous and, um, and that people who really have nothing to do with art um, are engaged in a dialogue around the piece. So for me, that is a triumph. It's a triumph that people are looking at something that's fundamentally abstract in nature, right? Then, and ideas, uh, uh, looking at something visual based on ideas, based on instinct, based on emotion, as much as I've told you about how the piece came about and seeing the G27 and all of that, ultimately the short answer is every artwork comes from instinct. You, you move in a certain direction and you don't even know why and then you make it and then you start to understand what you were thinking and what you were doing. The, 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 the truth is, who knows, right? Um, so, but that you can make something coming from a place of who knows, and that literally the world can have a dialogue about it uh, is incredibly exciting, right? Not really even for me as an individual, it's exciting that art can do that today in a time when art really rarely plays that role in public discourse. That's exciting. That's, I think that's a kind of like net gain for the world, right? Um, you know, I've gotten a lot of very personal uh, 
attacks and hate mail and threats and you know all kinds of um, comments on how I look uh, or my, my, my work or my intelligence or whatever. That's not pleasant, but I have to say, I don't really care. I don't, I don't, you know, that, that to me is a very, very small price to pay for uh, people talking about a very big subject in a way that they can really kind of um, dig their teeth into. That, that to me is, is, is pretty interesting. I also feel, you know, uh, uh, there are a few categories of, of response. There's a very positive category of response. There's a kind of attacking me and whatever. There's also a huge group of people who are saying that's not art, right? That, that, that's, that's a big, which is always a good sign, right, when a lot of people are saying that. And I think it's really interesting. I think it's interesting um, because it actually is not a form of art that is widely known, right? We're talking about participatory art. This is participatory performance. So the idea of art that the viewer physically interacts with, that's probably something most people have not directly encountered. So, um, so saying it's not art, meaning I'm looking at something and I have never seen something like this before, um, that's a big triumph too, that people are understanding that art doesn't have to be something that you have a, a, a physical, emotional, intellectual uh, distance from. So yeah, I, I, I actually, I mean, I read everything and I'm totally fascinated, totally fascinated. Oh, the other thing I discovered is that people are really creative. So many people have shared with me their ideas for participatory performances, mostly involving Democrats and, um, and various things being thrown at them and, um, and things to clean up. And so, um, so we're living in a much more creative world than we even knew. Our, yeah. our voicemail at the office is full, so we're, we're going to just forward those to oh, you. Oh, great, yeah. yeah all to, the emails, they're to, coming to you, so you're okay, going to have yeah. a wealth of uh, I, material I, I, I can't to, wait. To, Gives me to dig through. Something yeah. to do in my old age. Yeah. <laughs> Hi. Um, when you were thinking through the piece, were there any elements that you considered and decided not to include, like putting an apron on the model or putting like a presidential seal on the floor or like a, a photo of Trump like in the corner? Like were there things that you thought about that you decided not to include because you thought it might be too literal or misinterpret? Um, yeah, there were piece? definitely, there were definitely, I mean, the, when you said the presidential seal, I didn't think about that, but when I was considering the color of the carpet, a strong contender was that kind of like blue carpet that we associate with the Oval Office. And um, ultimately, I, 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 I try to accomplish the most I can with the least I can, right? So, so with the fewest strokes, referencing the smallest number of things um, to do what the piece has to do. So um, I, I, I didn't feel like any more direct reference to the, the president was um, necessary for this piece to do what it had to do. So ultimately, but those were all the process of um, the process in the process of making the piece. 
uh, a lot of those questions were, 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 were kind of like hanging around until I fi- found the, the final resolution. Until we found the right pink. The right pink carpet, yeah. Joyful whimsy, pretty and pink. Joyful whimsy, pretty and pink. <laughs> yeah. Home Depot. <laughs> I'm sure uh, Home Depot would be none too happy to know that it comes from them. Um, to sort of follow up on the, the feedback and the response that you've gotten to this, have you thought about um, archiving the response as part of the documentation of the piece? Yeah, at this point, at the, at, at this has, point, has it been on Fox and Friends yet? It was on. It was on, it's on been Fox on and Friends that one of the Trump brothers um, shared his. Um, yeah, was it was actually really great because at the beginning of Fox and Friends, they they were like, "Oh, we should bring you out a shop vac." Oh. And I thought that was was great, and yeah, but yeah, and I, mean, I don't I, think he got it, but you know, y- yeah, I mean, I, 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 in terms of archiving that material, I, I right now I don't really know where to begin. I was not expecting the wall of media uh, attention that this piece got, and um, I, I, I don't know. I yes, that's that's something. It's definitely, you know. The response to the piece in the room, the response of the viewer to the piece is a part of the work, right? The response of the public to the piece is equally a part of the work. How to, it's not going to be incorporated into the piece, but it'll certainly be incorporated into the documentation of the piece and the understanding of the piece in the future. So, um, yeah. My mom calls me every day. She's like, print it out. But I don't know. <laughs> she, she's also like filming it with her phone on the, the uh, computer. The, like... the computer screen. So yeah, but finding the kind of uh, the best, um, the best, the, the, the best way to do that is something that I definitely, look, you think you'll remember, but you forget, right? You forget what this moment felt like. You forget what it was like socially and politically in this country right this second. And it's something that would will be an interesting part of the, the history of the work. Yeah. I just wanted to ask you how you felt about, you know, the idea of being seen. Uh, you referenced it earlier when you're talking about the, the model being constantly, you know, around people, um, being photographed, being uh, filmed and and how that was like, you know, sort of a comforting, you know, connecting sort of uh, element. But I'm also thinking about like the idea of surveillance mm-hmm. and um, you know also like you know what are the flipping that kind of security on its head um, how do you feel about like the, the potential dark sides of, of being scrutinized like this or having the this piece being like seen all over and also even being guarded you know from people who might try to disrupt it in some way um, I, I would just wonder if you were thinking maybe if there was like a, a positive ultimately from that or a negative. Um, what are your feelings about that? Um, yeah, well, it, the, the, the security, uh, you know, security inside the piece has been front of mind from, from, from nearly the beginning. Um, you know, there is something sacred about an art space. And um, mostly, uh, not mostly, people who come here uh, come in peace, right? <laughs> they come to experience the work, to have an opinion. Um, 
so that really, while it's been a major concern and we're very vigilant and there's an armed guard here every day, um, that has not proven challenging. Um, and, you know, the visibility, uh, I don't know. It's, it, I, I think sometimes, um, sometimes when uh, people behave in a way that's um, angry and threatening or it, it actually makes you feel um, safer and more courageous, right? Because there's really, there's really no other option. You know, it's like, I, I still remember when there was the, the Muhammad uh, cartoon, right? And then the person who did it, there was a, there, there was a fatwa against them. And I remember thinking to myself, I cannot believe that anyone would have these kinds of uh, very aggressive thoughts towards someone for making a piece of art, right? And then here I am, right? So um, I think it's interesting. I think art remains, uh, it remains an extremely powerful force in the world and, um, and there's no question of going in a direction of it not being seen, you know? I mean, we talked a lot about doing the talk today where I felt like, you know, I'm a really private person. I'm not really, I'm not really interested in, in sort of um, in necessarily putting myself in that position, but do you not spend time speaking with people who are authentically engaged in, uh, in this specific piece and also art in general? Do you not do that thing, which is absolutely standard inside of the art world? Do you not do that because, um, because you're reacting in a more political way to a dialogue that somebody else started about what you're doing? Um, and obviously, all you can do is do your thing. Right. I mean, I, I, I don't see I don't see an option to do something else. I'd make a horrible politician. I don't want to talk in a way that a politician talks. I don't want to be absolute in the way you have to be as a politician taking one side or the other. I want to be able to say I feel empathetic toward Ivanka Trump, you know, which is something that won't please a lot of people, uh, even in the art world. Right. And I don't want to give up any of those freedoms. That's something that, 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 that is something worth doing anything for um, versus living in a way where you're a kind of like, you know, I didn't, I was invited to be on Laura Ingram, right? Uh, and I have no interest in that, you know? I have no interest in being the kind of um, dog and pony show for quote unquote liberal art. That's like, I, I, th that's of zero interest. Um, like just going in for abuse, right? But, um, but having an authentic dialogue about the piece, I'll talk to anybody. Hmm. My question goes back to the reaction, but mm -hmm. not the reaction outside of this room, the reaction inside. For, for myself, I struggled to throw the breadcrumbs on there because I think I, I didn't want to create the chaos that I can see outside of this room. And I'm wondering, in the little over a week's time that it's been here, what are some reactions that have been maybe outside of some of the ones that I saw just in this evening? Generally, I saw people similar to me, maybe timid, maybe put it in one spot. I was just wondering if there were some interesting reactions that you'd like to share. 
Yes, I mean, first, just anecdotally, I think um, men have had a particularly difficult time throwing breadcrumbs, um, which is interesting, you know, which that, that's just interesting, non-scientific survey. But, um, but I think uh, people come here thinking one thing and often feel another in the room. It often has a, a kind of, um, has like a, not a religious feeling, but it has a solemn feeling in the room. And, um, and acting inside of that, doing something, you kind of feel the weight of what you're doing. It's a, such an insignificant gesture, throwing breadcrumbs, and yet you're creating the circumstances of this, well, let's just say the subjugation of femininity in general, right? That's like played out in this little scene here. And, um, and I think it's hard for a lot of people to do. You know, other reactions, uh, you know, some people, it's not hard for them to do, and they, and they come many times and throw and throw and throw and enjoy it. Some people come, you know, it, it, it's a kind of Rorschach test, you know, some people come and, and are trying to figure out uh, the pattern of her performance, right? Like where she's vacuuming, what's driving her, what, like what the, um, and eventually much later on, uh, the performer, I'm sure, will share that one day after the performance is all over. But um, and 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 people try to figure out the system of her taking a break and when she takes a break and why she takes a break and what she's doing and how. And a, a big piece of what people are trying to figure out is how the breadcrumbs they throw impact the performance. So do your breadcrumbs make her take a break? Do your breadcrumbs make her make her vacuum them? Do your breadcrumbs make her go in the other direction? Do you how is she responding to you? Because um, you are a central figure even if your actions have no specific reaction. So um, yeah, there's kind of um, there's, there, there's kind of the spectrum. And I myself find, you know, that I, I think a big part of the piece that you completely lose when you're watching it on uh, the live feed is the sound part of the work. And this kind of droning vacuum where you're like so thrilled when you hear those crumbs cracking in, right? Because it's this, this interruption of, of, of a really kind of like, hypnot it, it's a hypnotizing space, right? You're sort of like lulled into the state so um, I think that's also an interesting effect inside the room. Some people plan to come for five minutes and they stay for an hour and a half because they're just like, like they forgot to leave, you know, like they're, so um, yeah, it's, it's the range, it's the range. Oh, and then one more thing. The fact that it's been so widely covered and that it has this, I mean, like all of a sudden I saw it has a Wikipedia page, Ivanka vacuuming, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, so um, the fact that it exists as this kind of iconic um, uh, piece or, or, or performance um, means that some people who come, their primary experience of it is virtual. And they come, and I can see the shock on their faces that this is actually a real thing, right? <laughs> so they're experiencing, they're experiencing, the, it's like the, the the representation of it feels more real than the real thing, and it's shocking that it's a real thing, and it's as 
sort of um, small, it's as small and touchable as it is. I mean, I had that feeling one of the first times I saw the White House where it's like, oh, it's, it's a house, you know, you can like, so um, yeah, that's another big, big reaction. What are your instructions to the model? Great question. And the other is, um, I'm from the theater world, and casting can be a horrendous process sometimes. Were there any hiccups, political or otherwise, in <laughs> casting this young lady in this role? Okay, great, great questions. Um, the instructions to the model were to have good posture and to look pleasant. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Um, I, I, I do give her some feedback sometimes, um, but there's really no other part of it that is, um, that is dictated. We have a, a secret uh, way of communicating with her using the crumbs, and, um, and that, <laughs> don't tell anyone, but, um, but, uh, but that's, that's really only so that, like, you know, uh, so you know to, th that has to do with like breaks and things like that. But there's no, there's no other instructions. It was, re it's really only about the way she looks. That's the, those are the instructions. Uh, and the casting process, you know, in a way, it was easy to cast because I took the photo of Ivanka Trump at the G20 and said, "We want this." So often you're casting something and you're looking for um, you're looking for uh, qualities that you can't represent visually or you can't you know you're you're looking for something and you'll know it when you see it. But this was really a case of looking for somebody who uh, who could look like that and carry themselves like that too. And um, the then then beyond that. There was the question of kind of like transforming this model, who obviously didn't look exactly like Ivanka Trump, into Ivanka Trump. And that process was really interesting because basically to become Ivanka Trump is about quite a high degree of artifice. So we changed the model's hair. We had somebody come and um, do a major tutorial on the makeup required to become Ivanka Trump. We put false eyelashes on her. So the, um, the, the, the making of someone who looks like, and none of that was really kind of like prosthetic or, or kind of like transforming the model's uh, physical being. So it was really more that to look like Ivanka Trump, you have to engage in the same degree of artifice that Ivanka Trump engages in. And I thought that was a very, very interesting part of the process. So it's not a wig. It is not a wig. That's real hair. That's real hair. Yeah. She has a lot of it. Yeah. Uh, I think we'll take, are there any more questions? We have time for maybe one more question. No, we got them all. Great. All right. Thank you all so much for coming. Yeah. Yeah. This podcast is powered by Candor, a digital production lab based in Northeast D.C. We help you build powerful marketing content, connect with your audience, and grow your business. Want to become a content expert? Swing by our studio on the Arts Walk in Brooklyn or check us out online at candorlabs.com. That's Candor with two A's.